Successful Minds with Patricia Barnowski-Schneider, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they have learned on their road to success and get exclusive advice on how to implement their success into your life and business. Successful Minds with Patricia Barnowski-Schneider is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board and your host, Patricia Barnowski-Schneider. Hello and welcome back to Successful Minds. I'm your host, Patty Baranowski-Schneider, CEO of Christine Advisors. Today I'm joined by Christelle Bay, the courage queen, fear whisperer, and expansive visionary. Our topic today focuses on being fearless and having courage in life. So thank you for joining us, Christelle. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, my name is Christelle Biga. I am originally from Cameroon, as you can hear from my accent. I moved into the United States a few years ago, and uh, my journey has been quite interesting. I think we'll have a chance to talk about it during the show. And today I'm a motivational speaker, and also I uh, train corporate leaders and entrepreneurs in you know, having the courage really to take action and to do the things that scare them in order to create the type of results that they really want. I love to call them mind-blowing results. <laughs> so that's what I do right now. Nice. I'm also in the process of writing my book, so stay tuned for that. <laughs> and yes, that's a little bit about me. Yeah, I can't wait to hear the story. It's actually incredible. Now, what inspired you to pursue the American dream? Okay, that's a good question. All right. When I was in Cameroon, that's in Africa, just <laughs> for those who were wondering, where is Cameroon? So Cameroon <laughs> is in Africa. And back home, I used to do some radio, some TV, and I had a big vision for myself. I have always felt within me that I had something to offer the world. Mm -hmm. And I really thought about the world. For me, being in Cameroon was kind of limited. I used to, I remember I used to lay on my bed before going to sleep and wonder if, you know, I could have the type of influence that Rihanna, because at the time, <laughs> every hairstyle Rihanna will have, all the girls, my generations, we have the same hairstyle. So that was kind of impressive to me. I was like, can I have this level of influence, <laughs> but not just to inspire people to change their hairstyle. And I, I would say, well, you can't sing. So, and then I would think of Oprah and I would say, I do kind of what Oprah does. She's a TV host and she has level of influence that, you know, we can't even talk about. <laughs> but then I would be like, yeah, well, but there is only one Oprah. And I'll go to sleep with that thought. But really the desire of my heart was to help people because the reason why I wanted to have that influence was to really be able to share a message of hope, a message that would bring peace and joy. I've always wanted people to be happy. So yes. As a little girl, I remember walking on the street and looking at strangers and wondering, is this person happy? Yes. So for me, I needed, I had that, fire in myself thinking people around the world are suffering and I believe I can help. I didn't know yet how, but I just had that knowing within me that I'm sure there is a way for me to help people. And for that, for me to reach the maximum of people, I have to be in a big stage. And from Cameroon, I was like, mm, that would be tough to be for me able to achieve that. What is the best place to go apart from the land of opportunity? So I bought into American dream where, you know, you go there and anything is possible. You become limitless. And I say, okay, that's definitely the place I need to be if I want to do what I want to do. So that's how I bought into American dream. And I say, let's go. Let's make it happen. Nice. That is awesome because, you know, people always say like, 
And just because people are smiling doesn't mean they're happy, you know? And a lot of people, like you hear about suicide rates and all that. And people are like, I never even knew that person wasn't okay. You know I mean? Exactly. So that's nice. Now, my next question was basically, how did you manage to win your case despite the language barrier? But I guess it would help to explain yes. a little bit because people will exactly. think I'm crazy by asking that, but your story is <laughs> off the charts incredible. So tell the story and then you can answer that. Yes, absolutely. So when I made the decision to move to the United States, um, I had no friends or family here. It would have made more sense for me to move to France because I had brothers there or Canada, my sister is there. But again, based on the vision that I had, the United States was the place I decided I needed to be. And it could have, I didn't even speak English at the time. So it was kind of a crazy move. One of those <laughs> leap of faith that if you have entrepreneurs listening, they might know those kind of decisions that you make to do something, to take action on something without having all the dogs in the row because I did it. <laughs> I didn't know exactly where how things work. I've never been in the U.S. before. But when I decided to come, I applied for my visa and I was excited. I got my visa. I was like, okay, it's time. Let's go. And for the little story in between, how did I decide to move to California? Because I live in California. It was December when I got my visa. And all I knew about the U.S. at the time was that it's winter. Yeah. And I had I had no business with the snow. I was like, there's no way <laughs> I'm going to deal with this because Cameroon is really hot in December. Okay. So I went on Google and I searched dates that have no snow. True, it's a true story. I Googled and then California <laughs> was one of them. And I remember, oh. Hollywood is there, so that's where I need to be. So that's how I chose California, and I came here. The moment I arrived at LAX, it was December 31st, 2015. So it was New Year's Eve for 2016, and if you remember, that's the year Obama won the election. So it was a lot of excitement around it, a lot of, you know, dreams and thinking, this is the perfect time for me to move here. And I got at LAX, taking my selfies, thinking, I have landed, passed my interview with the immigration officer, going to pick up my bag, about to exit the airport. And another immigration officer stopped me. And during the conversation, I was managing the small English I could manage. He decided that I needed to be deported. And I thought it was a joke because I didn't know where that was coming from. He he was a big dude, really big officer, (laughs) you know, so he had to lay his hands on the table to be at the same level at my eyes so that he can lock in eyes with me to tell me, you know what I think? I think you came here to work as a prostitute. So you are going back to your country. And I was really confused. I couldn't believe that. At, at some point I was wondering, is it is it a joke? Like, is it a movie? I know I'm in LA, so maybe it's happening. But he didn't seem like he was being funny. He called two female officers they performed the body search on me. And that's when I started thinking, oh, this is real. Why are they searching me like I'm a criminal or something? Right. They performed the body search to remove my tennis shoe, the laces from my tennis shoes. And they decided that, okay, they had to start the process of my deportation. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and before I knew it, I was sitting on the bench at LAX waiting for them to finish their paperwork and post send me to another room for my interview before my deportation and contacting the airline to let them know their passengers going back with them. And as I was sitting there, something interesting happened. Another immigration officer passing by stopped and asked me, what's going on, sister? 
and I just started talking. Again, I couldn't really speak English, but you know, when you are doing this, you don't have time to be self-conscious. Yeah. For me, it was just a relief to have somebody that wanted to listen because it seemed to me like the officer I dealt with didn't listen to what I was saying or whatever I was saying was used against me because mm -hmm. I remember when he said he was searching my bag and, and I just trying to defend myself. I said, but you're searching my bag. Do you see anything there that looks like I'm mm -hmm. a prostitute? He said, well, you know, prostitutes wear regular clothes too. I said, I know. He said, how do you know? I knew it, you were a prostitute. So when that other one asked me what's going on, I just started talking, hoping maybe finally somebody's going to listen and know that I'm innocent. I don't come here to work as a prostitute. Nothing wrong with prostitutes, but that's not what I'm here for. Right. And then at the end, I'm not sure he understood everything I said. But at the end, he just told me everything's going to be all right. And I held onto that small little sentence from a complete stranger right. for the night next month because eventually I was transferred to a deportation center from LAX where I ended up spending nine months. Mm -hmm. Nine months in jail without even knowing why I was there. Like I, I've, I thought I did everything right. And maybe you have found yourself in a position where you think, you checked all the boxes and wow. yet things are not going as planned. And yet you find yourself in a situation where you don't know what went wrong, but mm -hmm. you are in a big mess. And that's where I was wondering every day what went wrong. I did everything right. I got my visa. How come I'm detained with other people? I'm hearing their stories. They cross the border. They... So why am I here? I don't belong here, but I was there for nine good months. So maybe that, that's where we'll answer your question of yeah. how did I win my case with that, you know, with all of that. So when I arrived at the detention center, the other detainees that I met there, really, you know, nice people, they get tried to give me a brief overview of how things work there because I wasn't prepared. Most people, when they cross the border, uh, you know, from Mexico, all of that, they come kind of prepared to defend themselves. Right. They, they have an idea of the process. I did it. I was wow. completely lost. So they prepared me the best they could. They're telling me, you know, how it works, the, how what type of interview I have to face. And they told me this. They said, you know what? You, you need to know that nobody wins their case being in detention. It doesn't happen. Right. Some people have been there for like two years and more. And they said, we have never heard of anyone winning their case while they're in detention. So you have a few options here. Either you try to get some, somebody in the U.S. to sponsor you so you get released on parole and you continue your case outside, or you get a bond from, a bond from the judge, you pay, and you're released. Now, remember, I have no family here. And at that point, my family didn't even know where I was. And that was the, the other think that was really making me cry so much because I, I, I when they arrested me before the detention, they gave me two minutes to make a phone call. So I called my brother back home. And at that at the time I called them, it was probably midnight here, mm -hmm. around midnight. I remember that because before the transfer, they handcuffed us. My flight arrived at 1.30 p.m. in the afternoon. Okay. But we stayed in the cell at the airport for till midnight. And I know the time, not because there was a clock in the room, but because before leaving, they stopped to make a toast for the new year. Oh, yeah. as, as we were standing there with handcuffs, 
And I just had tears going down my cheeks and wondering what is happening to me. Is it how I'm entering the new year with handcuffs? So we got there. At that time, it was already lunchtime in Cameroon. So family was together having lunch. And I called my brother. And he was excited to hear my voice. He thought I was calling to tell them, hey, I've settled or whatever. And then when he's trying to be excited, I just stopped him. I said, I got arrested. And he was like, what? I said, yes, I got arrested at the airport. And I don't know. By the time I, I was talking, I didn't even know what to tell him where I was because mm-hmm. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So the call, the call went off. So I got to the detention center worried that my family doesn't even know where I am. How are they going to find me? Right. And the one of those, those were the things that were the most scariest for me. For the first few days, by the time they finally called the airport and find finally found me, I was scared to death. My family doesn't even know where I am. So how mm-hmm. am I going to get out of here? And so when they told me the two options that I had, I eventually told my brother, okay, I know you have friends in the U.S. At, at that point, he had a baby mama here too. She was living in Minnesota. I said, they said if I had somebody who would sponsor me, I can be released on, on parole. And they said, yeah, it's going to take two weeks for you to, you know, have your paperwork checked by your officer and you can be released on parole, continue your case outside. So I, said, I was hopeful right. for the two weeks. I said, okay, I can survive two weeks. There is, I, I can survive this. Two weeks later, my parole got denied, even though my brother had a friend here who was oh, a nurse right. and everything, sent all the paperwork. My power got denied and it made zero sense. Again, one of those things you think, okay, I checked all the boxes, everything mm-hmm. looks good on paper, and yet the result doesn't reflect what you worked or planned for. They couldn't really explain to me at the time. I tried to talk to my officer to know why my parole got denied. Mm-hmm. He just told me you're a flight risk. And for me, it didn't make sense. I didn't even know what it meant. I had no idea about the language from the justice system. Mm-hmm. I had never been through that. So next thing you know, because sometimes people ask me, why did you spend nine months there? It wasn't a sentence. The thing is, when you after they deny your parole, you have now to go face the judge for him to make a decision on your case. So every time, every month, you have one appointment in court with the judge. Mm-hmm. The first appointment, I went there. You have a lawyer? No, I don't have a lawyer. Come back next month. And that's how before you know it, you are there month after month after month mm-hmm. after month. You just have to come back. Eventually, okay, they will give you an, a translator. I had a translator. That's how I could go to court and have, you know, try to defend myself when I had the chance because for the first seven months, I couldn't even talk about my case because the judge would say, go get a lawyer. Right. And I couldn't get a lawyer. I have no family. Who is going to hire a lawyer for me? They mm-hmm. have a listing of free, you know, pro bono lawyers. But you have one detainee out of a thousand who mm-hmm. get a free lawyer. So I did. I wasn't one of them. Eventually, seven months in, the judge said, you know what? That thing, let's open your case. He opened my case and then he read my charges. One of them was that I came on a fake visa and I had to stop him. I said, this is not true. Right. I don't know. He said, but that's what is in your file. I said, no, I did not come with the fake visa. I said, so if we call your country and ask them if they gave you a visa, the American consulate, would they confirm? I said, yes. I gave them the dates and everything. Say, okay, come back in two weeks. Now we are to eight months in. See? 
eight months in, finally, I come back to court. He said, we verified your visa is valid. Right. Okay, but now you already spent out of the one year you had on your pass, on your visa, now you have already spent eight months oh in jail. God. So what do you want to do? Finish your case or, you know, just go with your four months left? Or we're sorry, but I mean, so I said, at this point, I mean, let me just finish my case. I don't know. What right. was that about? I can't spend eight months in jail for no reason. Right. So the next month I come in, it's a different judge, more harsh. He gave me a $20,000 bond to pay. Oh my God. And I don't have it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have no family here to go sign any paperwork for any bailboard company. So at that point, I'm like, this is it. The two options that I had, which the other didn't told me because I said it's impossible to win. Mm -hmm. So the two options that I had were gone. Parole got denied, $20,000 bond. I don't have it. Mm -hmm. So now what? Now I just have to go for the impossible option. I have now to prepare myself to win because either I win that case or I go back to Cameroon like a thief, nice. <laughs> like spending nine months in jail and going being sent back like you did something wrong. So I prepared my case the best I could. And I went to court without a lawyer. And I love to tell that story jokingly saying even against my translator because... Lucky for me, because in Cameroon, it's a bilingual country. We learn English in school, but you don't use it, so you don't right. speak it. But I understood English well enough to know when he was translating exactly the opposite of what I was saying. <laughs> oh, my God. So I had to fight him and be like, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. I right. was say it again for him to get it right to the, to the lawyer and to the government attorney and the, the judge. Right. So it was a tough battle. And eventually, I won my case. I couldn't right. believe when the judge said I won. I was crying in the courtroom <laughs> like a baby. I was like, this is not happening. It's amazing. But that's how I won when they said it was impossible. I remember going back to the detention center, all happy and excited and telling, you know, the roommates, I won. And they were like, oh, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> it's not possible. They had to read the paperwork from court to believe me no. because they said it was impossible. And that's how I know that sometimes when something is said impossible, doesn't mean it is. Right. I'm so sorry you had to go through all of that. That definitely doesn't uh, doesn't make anybody feel good. You know, it, it's crazy all the, the people that they let in this country that are really, really bad people and nobody notices that. And then, you know, you get a good person who comes in and they, you know, it, it's just wrong. But sorry you went through that, but I'm so glad that you're back in full force and really helping people now. That's and I'm awesome. still not a prostitute. Yeah. <laughs> still not. Hey, definitely. <laughs> now, what have been the most rewarding experiences from your journey? My The most rewarding experience so far really was for me to be able to turn that experience into something, to heal from that. Because when I was released for two years, I couldn't talk about it with anybody who didn't know about it. Right. So beside the people I met in the detention center, Nobody should know because I was ashamed. Yeah. And it's that's a shame. What, You're ashamed of something that you shouldn't even be ashamed of. Exactly. But for me, I was in jail. So it's it's shameful mm -hmm. because where I come from, you, you don't go to jail unless you're a bad person. So mm -hmm. I was ashamed and embarrassed. I didn't want anybody to know. And interestingly enough, the first job I got was at LAX. Oh, wow. 
Wow. The same airport where I almost got right. deported. But because I was still hurt and probably traumatized, I had shut down that part of my life from my brain. So I forgot. Right. When I started walking there, I forgot. Right. I forgot long enough. I was working with an airline, and the, the only reason why I got the job was because it was a French airline, and they needed French speakers. Because still my English wasn't wasn't good enough, right. but they needed French speakers, so that's how I was able to to get the job. And one day I went to to help passengers upon arrival, and it's when I was at the arrival level that everything came back, mm-hmm. and then I remembered because I was watching passengers get their bags mm-hmm. and leave, and then it hit me. I never left this airport like a normal passenger. I was handcuffed and taken somewhere else. So what does it feel like to exit this airport like a passenger? So I said to myself, okay, after I'm done with the passengers, I will follow them and just see what it looks like to leave the airport like a normal passenger, not a criminal. So I followed them and my heart was racing. I I had goosebumps because for me, I knew I was the only one who knew what was happening. Everybody around me didn't know. Again, one of those things you meet people, you don't know what's going on. Yeah, they just they don't know what is happening. So I followed them, and then when I I I got to the outside, I saw how people were there with flowers, waving, you know, with signs, and I had tears in my eyes, and I thought nobody was happy to see me come in this country. Mm -hmm. These people are being welcomed, and you know, their friends and family are happy. They didn't have that. And then I had to regroup before going back to the office because, again, I couldn't share that with anybody. But for me, it was the moment where the healing process really started. And to come back to your question, I'm proud because I was able to get through it. And now I'm using it Mm -hmm. to empower other people, to encourage other people, to let other people know that sometimes life happens. Sometimes things don't always go as planned. You might think, uh, because sometimes you hear people, I need to make sure I have all my dogs in a row. But you can't even have all your dogs in a row and still things don't go as planned. Mm-hmm. And yet, it doesn't mean that it will not going to, it's not going to be all right. Just like that immigration officer told me the first thing. After I shared everything, mm-hmm. he said, everything is going to be all right. He didn't know that. And you don't know that. I didn't know that when I was there for nine months, crying my eyes out. I didn't know how it was going to end. But not giving up, I will, I'm proud that I didn't give up. Because Absolutely. one thing is that when you're in detention center, you can sign a deportation paper anytime, any day, and they put you on the next flight, you're back. Right. But even though it was hard and I was crying my eyes out, every day I had to make a decision. Do I give up or do I try? At least try. So that's what really is the, the thing that I'm most proud of because I could have given up. It was mm-hmm. hard enough for me to give up, but I did it. Yeah. And even after I went, I came out and it was hard for me to talk about it. I did the work on myself to remind myself that I didn't do any wrong. Right. I, did, I had no reason to be ashamed of myself. Right. And I started talking about it to encourage other people. And it's interesting because the first time I shared my story on a podcast, it was in 2020. Wow. I didn't even expect to share that story. But during the conversation with the host, I just started talking about it without even thinking about it. And I didn't stop myself because I just trusted that if it's coming out, then it was the right time. And it was perfect because we're in the middle of the pandemic. Right. So people needed to hear that. 
Yes, we had plans for 2020. And now life is happening. Nobody saw this coming. No business owners. No, nobody knew exactly what to do, what to expect. Right. And my story was perfect to tell people. Yeah, it's I going mean, to be all definitely. right. Yeah, it's I mean, going you definitely to be have right. a story for sure. And, you know, it's good because people, you know, like, oh, my God, it was late for a meeting. I got a speeding ticket. You think your life is so hard. Like, really, you have no idea what other people have gone through. And, you know, your story of courage is just amazing. And the type of thing that normal people, like I'm from the United States, been here my whole life, would in a million years think that that sort of thing happens. But it does. And mm -hmm. until you hear about it, it's like, wow, you know, I mean, it's... Uh, Wow. So I definitely commend you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Now, how did you develop the courage to overcome the obstacles in your life? That's really something that you find, you find, I think everybody has that, but we don't need it often enough to develop it. Right. I didn't know I could survive nine months in jail. If when I was thinking of moving to the United States, somebody had told me, you know what, from LAX, you will go to jail and spend <laughs> nine months. I would have laughed and said, there is no way I can survive one day in jail. Right. <laughs> I can't. I don't have that in me. Mm -hmm. Because we don't give ourselves enough credit. And I that's why I always, I always love to remind people that everybody can have courage. Mm -hmm. it's, it's something that we can practice and develop. We don't give ourselves enough credit. We always say, oh my gosh, there's no way I can do that. There's no way I can handle this. This, But we have it in us. And when I was in that place, that's really when I started building, Tony Robbins loves to call it courage muscle. That's where I really started working my courage muscles. Because up to then, I wasn't, I didn't need to be that brave. Mm -hmm. I never needed to be that brave. But when I was I was in that position, I had to remember that I can. And it, it, courage for me is a decision that you have to make when you are in a situation that requires courage. Right. You always have the option yeah. to say, you know what, I'm out. So courage comes with the decision to look at a situation and say, I'm going to try anyway. I don't know if I have what it takes. Yeah. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can survive this. But what I know is that at least I can try. And that's all courage is. Yeah. Because when we think of courage, sometimes we think, oh, it's for some people. Well, other people are. Maybe somebody can be listening to my story and say, well, she's brave. I can't. Yeah. I didn't know either. But I promise you, we all have that in us. We just have to choose courage yeah. when we, have, we are in a situation that is scary. That is hard. That is challenging. It's a choice we have to make. And that's what I have learned to do. To choose every day for nine months. To choose to not give up. And that's mm -hmm. all courage is. And there is one author, I forgot her name. She said, courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is just the little voice in your head that says, before you go to bed, I'll try again tomorrow. Right. That's all. And that's all I learned to do. And that's why every time I'm in the challenging position and God knows I have been in tough situations, right. I had to remind myself, you can tr at least try. Yeah. Try again tomorrow. They have told you before it was impossible and eventually it became possible. So just at least try. Yeah, even when it's hard. You accomplished the impossible. <laughs> 
So that's what, how I was able to really develop that. Nice. And when I work with the people, you, what, the way I usually help them with that is borrowing an exercise that was uh, shared with us with uh, by, uh, I forgot her name, Jen Godlieb. I want to give her credit. She calls, calls it the badass list. So a list of 10 things that you can be proud of that were scary at the time you wanted to do them right. and you did them anyway. So you put them on the list to remind yourself that you are capable of doing difficult things or going through difficult situations. Right. And on that list, for me, when I did that exercise, I had one event when I was just 10, right? I just left, you know, primary. Uh, I went to sixth grade okay. and none of my previous classmates were in the going to the same school. And I was a shy kid. I know when I say I was shy, nobody believes me. But I was, <laughs> but I was a shy kid. Couldn't talk to people I didn't know. I was so shy that I would always hide in my room to read. I would read anything. I remember I read a piece, just a half page of magazine. They were talking right. about how to overcome shyness. Right. And one of the tips was, if you get somewhere and you're strangers, mm -hmm. you can't talk to people because you're shy. Just take a deep breath, look at a friendly face and go say hi. Right. So here I am, first day of school, sixth grade. I don't know anybody. If the, 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 the school is full of kids running everywhere and I'm freaking out. If you are shy, you know what I'm talking right. about. My, my heart is racing. <laughs> but I need to find my classroom. And then I said, well, they said, take a deep breath, look for a friendly face and go say hi. Right. And that's what I did. I had to. Again, did you see how life gives you opportunities to find your power? Right. And that's how today I can share my story with joy. I'm not resentful because I say that's the opportunity life gave me right. to see how brave I can be. I didn't know that before. Right. So that day in school, I walked to the first girl that was laughing. I said, hi. And I told her, I'm looking for my classroom. She said, me too, let's go. And oh, she became yeah. my best friend for the next five years. Right. So those are the things that remind us. how. That's how you start building your courage right. by reminding yourself, wait a minute. I was scared to go maybe apply for that job. And I wanted eventually I got the job. Wait mm -hmm. a minute. Maybe I was scared to ask this person out. Mm -hmm. And then I said, do you mind going to have coffee? They said, yes. And today we, or maybe we had a beautiful relationship. Mm -hmm. So you remind yourself that you I have done things that were scary yeah. before. And that's how you start building that courage muscle. I mm -hmm. keep doing it, doing it and doing it. Nice. Nice. Now, what advice would you give to corporate leaders and entrepreneurs who want to achieve great results? Uh, say that again. What advice would you want to give to corporate leaders and entrepreneurs who want to achieve great results? The biggest advice that I usually give them is that they're to, do, to dream big. Yeah. Greatness it doesn't is not in your comfort zone. Yeah. Something becomes only great when it's outside of the normal. So maybe as an entrepreneur or a corporate leader, you have a you know you have achieved a certain level of success so far. You have gotten some good results, right? Mm -hmm. You have made some money in your business as an, as a business owner, maybe. And it can be so a position that you can be content of, can be proud of yourself. Right. You're not doing bad. You're good. Just like when I was in Cameroon, I wasn't good doing bad. I was fine, right? I was hosting some TV shows, radio, you know, having my small event planning. So I was fine. I didn't need to challenge myself. I didn't need to go for greatness because for me, moving 
taking that leap of faith to go to America was me searching for greatness. So that's what you are called to do if you want to achieve great results. Mm -hmm. Decide to go for greatness. Dare to dream bigger. Mm -hmm. Yes, your current situation might be just fine, might be okay. You might be content with it. But greatness calls you to do something different, something that is sometimes scary. Right. To try something that maybe in your industry, they are saying, nobody does it this way. Mm-hmm. But you have that idea that is in your mind and you, you, your heart is calling you to give it a shot. Right. But everybody may be telling you, listen, nobody does this. Mm-hmm. Nobody. I remember mm-hmm. when I, I became an entrepreneur and then I shared with one of my friends, she was a podcast host at the time. I said, I want to start speaking on podcasts and everything. She said, you just started. Nobody's going to have you on their podcast if you don't have a website, if you don't have, you know, a downloadable that you can give to people. They don't know you. So, no, it's not going to work. But because I've already had that story of they told me before something was impossible. Right. So I'm not (laughs) going to listen to this because I want a bigger battle than this one. Yeah. So, no, don't tell me it's impossible. (laughs) And sure enough, a few weeks later, I was on podcasts, more podcasts that I could count. Just because I made that decision. So that's my advice to corporate leaders and entrepreneurs usually and say, if you want bigger for your business or for your company, don't let yourself be scared by maybe nobody has never done this. Mm -hmm. This is an idea that has not been tested yet. Or nobody is making this kind of result the first year. Mm-hmm. or everybody I ask because we love to we go ask people first to, for their approval mm-hmm. I'm asking everybody's telling me that this is insane do it anyway yeah, at no, least I, try yeah no I agree with you 100% <laughs> that's where greatness comes from you never just know go for something chance. bigger right. <laughs> take a chance on yourself yeah. take a chance and that's how you achieve greatness yeah, smart words yeah now, what do you think are the biggest challenges that immigrants face in the U.S. today? Obviously, you, you, would, <laughs> you would know. I mean, the biggest, this is interesting because my story was a little bit different than the other immigrants that I met in the detention center. Right. But based on the exp- my personal experience and uh, their experience, you know, knowing them and learn, staying with them and hearing their own stories, the biggest challenge is, I think, is not knowing exactly what to expect. Mm -hmm. See, sometimes we think, oh my gosh, you know, this is what I need. And you think you have a plan. You think you you know what you're doing. But not knowing what to expect is the biggest challenge because when you come, it's a different culture. Even a language, for me, even the language was a problem already. But I didn't really think about it. I remember before traveling, I was listening to CNN just to be able to understand the American accent. That was my training. But (laughs) but, (laughs) yes, but you coming, be ready for the unexpected because anything can happen. As much as it's a land of opportunities, there is always a lot of challenges that you have to face. Those challenges can look different for everybody. But just come knowing that I'm going to a different world. Mm -hmm. So I have to prepare for the unexpected. Even if you have a a family here, friends here, 
become ready for the unexpected. Mm-hmm. And one thing also that I see a lot with immigrants, because I, you know, I'm an immigrant, so mm-hmm. I'm in the community and everything. People that came here before you want to pave the way for you. They want to tell you what to do. Right. And that's a, a big challenge because before you move to the United States, you had a dream, maybe. Right. You had a talent, maybe. But then you come and they tell you, if you want to make money, become a nurse, um, do this or do that, or right. that's, that's the best route. But do you want to be a nurse? And it takes courage to be able to pave your own path. Mm-hmm. be ready to do something that is different right. from your community because mm-hmm. immigrants we try to support each other to survive it's a new environment it's different yeah. but you have to be willing if you are a new immigrant you have to be willing to go for the for the unexpected to challenge mm-hmm. yourself and that's the only way for you to really make it and be happy because sometimes we come we just want to go make the money but are you happy yeah. my interior question are you happy with the life you're living? Are you happy? And happiness comes after you have the courage to go after what you really want. Right. Very nice. Now, what have been the biggest lessons that you learned from your experiences? The biggest lessons, the first one I think I've shared it already, is that we have we are more powerful than we give ourselves credit. Right. I didn't know I was that strong, but I was. I didn't know I was that brave. But I was. Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest lesson that I've learned. Give myself credit. Right. Even when my brain is telling me otherwise. Mm-hmm. And fear is a big deal mm-hmm. in our lives. And that's why I love to call myself a fear whisperer. <laughs> because I really teach people how to a- acknowledge their fears. Right. And show up anyway. Mm-hmm. That was one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is that fear, first of all, is not your enemy. I know sometimes we are so mad at fear, we think it's, it's around to destroy our dreams, our desires to hold us mm-hmm. back. But what I love to remind people is that fear is a love language of your brain. Your brain has a memory of you going through a situation before and maybe failing mm-hmm. and you were in pain. You cried, you were frustrated, you were disappointed, you were ashamed, you were embarrassed. Whatever the emotions were, you were not happy. So now your brain kept that memory and said, you know what? I will make sure you don't go through that again. Mm-hmm. And how will your brain make that happen? By showing up every time you want to take a chance or do something that is scary or risky, your brain will bring fear to stop you and say, this is dangerous. Remember the last time how painful it was, how much you cried, how embarrassed you were. You don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. And that's how that's what fear is. So I love to call it the love language of your brain, just trying to protect you. Just mm-hmm. like a family member will tell you, don't be silly. Don't invest all your savings in that because mm-hmm. they think they want to protect you. They're mm-hmm. not trying to scare you just to, to destroy you, but to protect you. That's what your brain does with fear. And what I've learned is that fear, when it shows up, mm-hmm. you can have a conversation with your fears. Mm-hmm. Don't try to shut it down. Because the harder you work to shut it down, the harder you will push. I love to describe it this way. If you are, we're having an argument now and you go, I go, we go, I go, it's just going to get heated and heated and heated and ex- eventually there'll be an explosion. 
But if at some point of the argument, I, sh I stop talking and I start listening to you, what's going to happen? Eventually, you run out of arguments and you will also shut up. Right. And if at the end, I tell you, I hear you, I see where you're coming from. What you say actually makes sense. How will you feel? I, now, all I, of a sudden, you will not feel the need to keep fighting. Right. Be like, finally, she gets it. <laughs> right. Now we are in a place where we can have a conversation because now you think I get it. Yeah. And it's better. And at that point, I can tell you, yes, I see where you're coming from. What you're saying makes sense. I was just wondering if now you are more open to any option that I will offer because we feel like we're on the same page. Mm -hmm. Do the same thing when fear shows up. Stop and listen. Sometimes people think the thoughts in their heads are them. No, yeah. that's why you say I have thoughts because it's not you. So yeah. you can take a moment to just listen, not argue and be like, this is a lie. Fear is a liar. No, mm -hmm. listen, because again, that fear is not lying. All the things it's telling you are possible. They haven't happened yet, mm -hmm. but it's possible to fail. Mm -hmm. It's possible for things to not go the way you want. It's possible to be disappointed. It's possible for people to make fun of you if you go live on Facebook. Every, all of that is possible. So your fear is not lying. It's just telling you things that haven't happened yet. And right. you're not sure it's going to happen. So listen. And when your brain calms down, if you pay attention, you will know that, okay, now they, 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 are, they are not convinced, trying to convince me. And now you can say, makes sense. Right. That's, that's possible. You, you're right. It's possible. And what is also possible is... For me, for example, to go on that stage and speak and people actually find my story valuable. And your brain, like a computer, be like, huh, <laughs> that's another option. Right. And then you can say, Do you, let's just try and see what happens. Okay. Now your fear can let you try. Mm -hmm. Now you are not fighting your fear and fighting the challenges that you're going to face. Mm -hmm. At least you have your brain on board to go try. So that's one other lesson that I've learned, that we can manage our fears in a way that it doesn't become a reason why we don't show up anymore for the things we want. Wow. Very, very nice. Is there anything else you want the listeners to know? What else do I want the listeners to know? Is that if you have a dream, really, if you want... And when I say dream, it's not something like out of this world. It can be if you're an entrepreneur, maybe you want to take your business to the next level. If you, you are a corporate leader, maybe you want your team to perform better. So whatever your desire is, your vision is, is really important for you, first of all, your vision to be strong. Because a strong vision will allow you to stay the course, even when challenges will arise. If you are wishy-washy, if you are just coping what other people are doing, it's easier for you to say, you know what, this is not for me. Because, again, yes, it wasn't even for you. You were coping other people. Right. So when you're setting up your vision, you want to make a, take a, a moment to wonder, is it really what I want to achieve? Mm -hmm. Is it really where the, the, the direction that I want to take? Or am I doing this because I saw people in the same industry or people around me do it and it's working for them. That's why I want to do the same. Right. Or is it what I want to do? If it's what we want to do, you want to remember also that things might not go as planned. 
especially in the corporate world, it's really easy to stick, want to stick to the plan. Okay. want to have a plan first because we need to explain everything. We have to have a PowerPoint with all the details and all being planned and predictable. Life happens. It's true. And it's beautiful <laughs> that life happens because every time life happens, it's an opportunity to find something about yourself that you didn't know was there. Yeah, so that's what I want you to, even if you don't remember anything during this conversation <laughs> today, remember that when you are in the midst of a challenging situation, remember that beyond the, the slogan of it's happening for you, yeah. remember that life is giving you an opportunity to discover something about yourself you didn't know was there. Nice. Maybe you needed to start asking for help, something you have never done before. Now you're in a situation that you cannot handle on your own. It's your opportunity to develop the skill to allow support in. So it's possible for you to really make anything happen. And just if you, if somebody tells you, or even if your brain is telling you, this is impossible. I want you to remember that I was told it was impossible, but I had no choice than to make it possible. So put yourself in a position where you say to yourself, I have no other choice right now than to make this possible. This has to become possible. And how is it going? When you put yourself in that position, things start falling into place because you are in the energy of it is possible. I don't care if I've never done before. I don't care if the numbers are against me. I don't care if stats don't even match what I'm, I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure there is a way to make this work. And the moment you put your brain in that place of there is a way, your brain will find a way. Very, very well said. Well, thanks again for being on the show. Again, that was Christelle Bay. So thanks for listening to Successful Minds with Patty B. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the show here. And I will post her contact information on this podcast as well. So thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Successful Minds with your host, Patricia Barnowski-Schneider. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates, and we'll see you on the next episode.